morning. I'm Dottie, and this is Brett. We are reading John 15, 1 through 17, and I'm reading from the ESV. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But this is my, but this my Father, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Gracious Father and Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for, Father, such an encouraging passage, but one that carries such conviction. And Father, I pray that our hearts will be convicted, Father, that we will um, seek to abide and obey your commandments. And Father, we thank, that you, thank you that you don't leave us to our own, to ourselves, Lord, but you send helper, Father, that helps us abide and, and obey your commandments. Father, we thank you for the encouragement you provide us through our brothers and sisters here at the Grove and elsewhere. Father, that you have, uh, you have put us in, in and amongst people who are seeking the same thing, and that is to glorify the Father. Father, thank you for your grace this morning. Father, as we prepare to hear the teaching that Chris has prepared, I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Amen. You cupids, how's everybody doing? I was preparing yesterday a little bit, and uh, or a lot of bit, and um, I was sitting there at the computer in our our bedroom because our office is a kid's bedroom, and uh, I was typing out, and I went Buenos dias, familia, and Kristen looked at me. She's like, Oh, I miss Josue. I was like, Me too. So I wanted to start like that this morning. Buenos dias, familia. Um, I'm grateful to be before you this morning. Before we even dig in uh, to the text, I have something that I want to say. 
And that is just a word of appreciation and encouragement for our lead pastor, Lance. Something I was struck by this week as I was preparing and kept shushing my children and pushing them out of the room to more electronic time so that I could focus is that this is a hard thing to do, y'all. And um, he does this on a week-by-week basis on top of all kinds of other things. And so to Melissa and the kids for supporting him through that for nine years, we're getting ready to celebrate. Like, I've only been doing this for a minute, and it's hard. And so I just wanted to speak a word of appreciation for him. He's out coaching baseball this morning, and so he'll probably watch this on the podcast. Hi, Lance. Um, But we are really grateful for him. So would you encourage him by texting him a word of appreciation or a prayer, um, stopping him, saying hello, telling him that um, how you're grateful for him or how his ministry and his dedication to the word and to the Lord has maybe blessed you or benefited your family. Um, And so this is this is a hard task and he does a good job at it. So I just wanted to say that. And he's not here. He usually doesn't like that kind of stuff. So I figured since he's not here this morning, I can say it and he can't get me the side eye in the front. So, but also Melissa and your kids, thank you guys for supporting him through all that for years and years and years. So um, let's get, let's get started this morning. Um, I introduced myself earlier, but for some of you that may not know me, my name is Chris. I am the associate pastor here at the Grove. And if you've, um, been with us for any length of time now. We've been going through a sermon series that we've called the Daily Devotions, where we've been walking through Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And we have been talking about and looking at what the early church, the first century church, was devoted to. And so we saw that that was the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. And then last week we talked about the prayers. And in between each of those sermons, we've spent a week kind of fleshing out what that actually looks like in our lives and how that practically gives, gets lived out. And so last week we talked about being devoted to the prayers And Lance did a great job of giving us at the end some really practical, applicational things that we could do, like setting alarm at 2.42 to remind you to pray. And some of you guys have done that, and there's been chatter on that um, over at GroupMe. And so there's a real beauty and a purpose to prayer as a believer. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at maybe some practical, applicational side of what a life devoted to prayer looks like, and we'll kind of unflesh that um, as we go this morning. So... Uh, Thank you, Cupid's, for reading John 15. Um, I really struggled this week to figure out where to even land in a passage. There's so many that I could have gone to, but uh, landed at John 15 after I changed my sermon probably three times this week um, because the beauty and the picture of Jesus being the vine and us being the branches. And so um, you're probably wondering what this thing is doing here this branch right here. And some of you are looking at this and going, well, he's probably going to give some kind of fruit-bearing illustration because it's John 15, and that's not a fruit-bearing tree. If you know this is a magnolia tree, don't judge me. It's what I had in my front yard, and I need to grab something for an illustration. So bear with me. But what do you notice about this? Um, If you look for a moment, you'll see that the leaves are green, that the, the stem and the sticks are still kind of pliable. It's still got some life and some moisture and some, some nutrients uh, in it, and that it's got some fruit on a magnolia tree. There are, there are blooms that happen on a magnolia tree, right? Um, but one thing to notice about this branch is that it's broken off. It's on its own. It's not connected to the tree anymore, right? It's not connected to the vine per se. And so if we were to try as a church, do you think we could all kind of come around this and maybe squeeze it enough and like hold it up and pray to the Lord and that it would produce um, some more life or some fruit? 
we wouldn't be able to do that, right? We wouldn't be able, I mean, we might be able to like tape an apple on the thing and make it look like it's a fruit tree. But eventually at some point, this limb and the apple that's taped to it are going um, to wither and die. And the reason why that is, is because ultimately as fresh and as alive as that looks right now, it's no longer connected to its life source. It's no longer attached to the place that it gets its life and nutrients. And, and so because of that, it is eventually going to wither and die, right? It's going to shrivel up. Those leaves are going to turn brown and fall off, and it will never again produce any fruit. And this is a picture that we see in John 15 with the vine and the branches. We saw in that passage of scripture that the, the branches that do not produce fruit that God cuts off and throws away. And eventually in that passage, it talks about they get bundled up and burned. But what does it say about a vine or a branch that is attached to the vine still? Is that the vine dresser, God, actually prunes it so that it will produce more fruit. And we'll get into that as we go through. But what I think is important for us to understand is that in John 15, when Jesus is teaching, this, the people in his day would have understood this illustration of the vine and the branches um, because in the Old Testament, the terminology of the vine was usually used to refer to the people of God or Israel. And in the Old Testament, it was always used in a negative sense because it was giving them a picture of Israel was a vine or it was a branch that did not bear fruit and therefore there was consequence that came with that disobedience right? And so Jesus here in John 15 is redeeming this imagery, and he calls himself the true vine. And so he's providing, he's showing them, hey, I'm going to come in, and I'm going to provide all that you need to be in union with the Father. So I'm going to be the life source for you as a branch. And so if we are to live lives, then, that are devoted to the prayers that we read about last week in Acts 2.42, then I think it's important for us to recognize that we have a need to be dependent on this true vine. And we need to recognize that a life devoted to the prayers will involve risk for us. Risk is inherent in our life, right? We are, we are finite beings, and so everything we do has risk involved in it because we don't know the outcome of what's to come. We don't know the future, right? And God does, and so there's no risk for him. But for us, everything about our life is risk. And again, we'll get into that some more. But as we talk about a life devoted to prayer and as we talk about what it looks like to live a life of dependence and a life of risk, it's important for us to understand, like simply again, a reminder from last week, what is prayer? Prayer for us as believers is just this open admission on our half that without Christ, we can do nothing, right? And it says that in John 15, that apart from the vine, we can do nothing on our own. And so our prayer by necessity and by nature is is speaking to our dependence and our need to be dependent on God. And it's an expression of our faith in his power and in his ability and not our own. And so it's fueled by our desire for him. And it's important for us to remember that when we pray, it's not about um, us getting some kind of reward from the Lord. It's not about receiving gifts necessarily when we pray, although that's typically what we tend to do. We petition God for things that we feel we want and need, right? But the important thing to remember is that when we pray, we get him. 
We get the vine. We get the gift giver. And so that relationship is described in John 15, verse 7, where we just read for the first time as abiding, this abiding relationship with the vine. And that word abiding has its roots and its, its idea in the fact that we find our home in him. And so usually we're driven to prayer because of a need that we might have, but it's important to understand that we remain in prayer because of God and his power, his sustaining power over our lives. And so we kind of approach him as, or we should approach him maybe as a child goes to their parent for every single perceived need. And most of you have kids of here, uh, most of you probably have kids in here, but I don't know about you, um, but my kids come to me with every crazy request that they can think of. Like um, they just recently went to Dallas to visit a friend of ours um, to celebrate his birthday and they got to go on this outdoor gas powered go-kart track. And my middle son, James, was like all about it. Anything that has fuel and goes fast and makes noise, like he's in it to win it, right? And so um, in the like gift shop area of that go-kart place, they had this $4,000 electric go-kart. And he was like, dad, we got to get it. And I was like, no, we don't got to do nothing. Um, but he was, he seriously looked at my wife and he goes, but why not? She's like, it's $4,000. I don't know if you think we're made of money. That's not the kind of vine we abide in <laughs> is the money tree, right? But he was like, he was shocked that there was, we weren't going to pay $4,000 to get him this stinking go-kart, go right? But it's because his relationship with us and his posture with us, he feels comfortable to ask anything, right? And I think that's the picture that I'm looking at when I think about abiding in the vine is that there's this just necessity for us to be so dependent on him that we come to him with whatever we need, big or small, um, and so I think that's kind of our posture toward the Father is that we are His children and fully dependent on Him for life and for every need that we have. And the beautiful thing is that God actually says in Scripture that He hears the prayer really of any person, whether or not they're Christian, simply because He's God, right? Um, but the beautiful thing and the big blessing for us, I think, is that um, even though the scriptures say that he makes it rain and he makes the sun shine on the wicked and the righteous, that it's important to remember that because we are one of his children, if we believe and have faith in him, that we get to come to him as father. And he hears us from that posture of a parent. If we look in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, should come up on the screen here behind me, it says this, or which of you if his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father who is in heaven gives good things to those who ask him. And so, church, he hears our prayers. He gives good gifts to those who are his children, who love him, who are called according to his purposes, and who simply ask him. And so as we dive a little deeper into looking at what it, what it means to be devoted to the prayers, I think there are two things that I want us to see today. The first one is that living a life devoted to the prayers means that we are exercising our dependence on the true vine. And the second thing would be that we live lives devoted to the prayers. That means inevitably that we will have risk. And so a life devoted to the prayers requires a, a dependence on the true vine. That means we must abide in him. We must recognize that we have no hope for life like this branch outside of that source of life. And so it's difficult to abide though. It's difficult to find our home in Christ, isn't it? Uh, why is that? 
if we know these things to be true in Scripture, we know that he, God's got us. We know that um, He is providing all that we need and more. Why is it that we struggle so much to abide? What keeps us from praying and exercising that dependence on the true vine? I think it could be that we're uncomfortable truly deep down in our hearts with the sovereignty of God and that we're uncomfortable with God's sovereignty because really deep down we think we know better. We assume that we know better. And so we approach God with this posture that I can't imagine a better plan for myself. How, how could he have a better plan for me? What I've got right now is exactly what I need and what I want. And so we kind of hedge our bets and we kind of shape our, uh, make our life safe so that um, there's really no risk on our part or we think there's no risk. Um, but God certainly does, he doesn't mean for us to understand his sovereign plan at every turn. Um, we see that in Isaiah verse 50, uh, chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Again, it should come up behind me where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so I think we'll spend most of our lives kind of running around looking clueless for the next surprise or twist or turn that God's infinite wisdom um, might give us or where it might take us. And while he doesn't mean for us to understand his plan, he does mean for the glimpses that we get of his sovereignty and the brokenness in our stories and our homes to be something that inspires us to run to him and not away from him and certainly never to rise up against him. And so I have a story for you this morning that I think paints a really beautiful picture of what it looks like to be faced with a difficulty and um, two different pictures of what it looks like to abide. And um, so on Christmas Eve of 1992, when my wife was in kindergarten, her sister was in second grade, and uh, my mother and father-in-law, Raleigh and Jerry, who are sitting back there in the back, um, I got permission to share this story, by the way, if you're like, oh, what's he going to say? Um, they were a family, and they got some news on Christmas Eve of that year in 1992 that doctors, after some, some pain that Raleigh was in, doctors had found what was considered stage 3 abdominal cancer, um, and they gave him a 20 to 30% chance to live about six months. And um, there was all kinds of experimental drugs in the 90s to start like trying to fight against cancer, but it was nowhere near where we are today with cancer research and, and, and medication and drugs and things. Um, but there was these experimental drugs out there that he could take and, and they would hopefully give some hope for the best possible outcome. Um, but the, the odds were kind of stacked against him. And so through his treatment, he endured nine different types of chemo drugs that were all experimental. Um, he was on six different uh, narcotics or medication for nausea and pain on top of the chemo drugs. And the treatments were hard and took a major toll on his body, and the toll even has lasting effects today with, um, you know, pain that he's in in his feet and things like that, or loss of hair and all these kinds of things. Like, there's lasting effects that he still um, is living with and experiencing today. And so it was earth-shattering news for them to receive, for any of us to receive at any time, right? But especially on Christmas Eve, it's like, man, what in the world? Um, and that you only possibly have six months to live. So the journey for Raleigh, I'm cutting a lot of stuff out, y'all, because I just don't have time, but this is a beautiful story. But the journey for him lasted about 18 months, and through tons of prayer and the miracle and grace and mercy from the Lord of modern medicine, um, he experienced healing in the physical sense here on earth. And he's sitting back there today um, and has been in remission for 29 years. 
if I got that right. I think it's about 29 years. Um, there's so much beauty to this story that I don't have time to get into, and I would encourage you and challenge you to go seek him out, seek him and Jerry out, and hear some of the beauty specifically about how their church family uh, came around them and supported them. I mean, to the tune of like, they were getting ready to sell everything and move in with their parents. And the church came around them and completely paid for all of their financial needs for the entire duration of his treatment. Mortgage, lawn mowing, um, groceries, all of it paid for. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful picture. So as I sat with them this week to learn more about this part of their life, I was reminded that no matter the difficulty that we find ourselves in, um, we all respond differently to crisis, right? And that the Lord is faithful to meet us exactly where we're at. And although Raleigh was sick and weak and wanted desperately to do all that he had been able to do before and to be busy at the things that he had been busy at, like fixing his girls' bikes or mowing his own lawn. He wanted to maintain his own vehicle. Um, can you imagine as a man how that's a shock to your pride to not be able to do these things um, and to have other people come in and help you? And he told me that when he was sick, he regularly had to lay down his pride and plead with God to align, look at this, to align his will with God's. So from financial needs to household chores to being lifted up in prayer, God met every single need that there was. And in the midst of all of this, the Lord graciously reminded him of his need to abide in the vine. And that's exactly what he did. But what also struck me was hearing my mother-in-law's response, which was totally different. She found herself, in her words, angry and hurting and looking for every possible anger to try to gain control, to speed up his healing and recovery. And to the point where it was really a struggle for her to even pray and ask God and had to depend on the prayers of the people that she was in community with because she didn't know what to ask and how to ask. And she was dealing with I mean, the thought of maybe losing her husband and being widowed in her 30s and two little kids. And so... Um, but one thing I want to point out that as I read Raleigh's testimony, he had it printed out. He typed it all out. The thing that's written at the very top, I wanted to share with y'all, and I'm going to try not to cry. Um, but this is what it says. I trembled on the rock, but the rock never trembled under me. That's the vine to me. That that vine... Um, no matter how weak and frail or what our circumstances may dictate for us, that our life is overwhelming or it's going in the toilet or, or whatever it might be, the fact of the matter is that that vine is steady and it's still giving life. And yes, the vine dresser prunes. And sometimes that pruning might look like cancer. Sometimes it might look like our, our story is infertility, and I've shared some of that in past sermons. Um, and some of that pruning hurt, like pruning hurts. But the better outlook of going, yes, but this, if this is going to produce more fruit in my life that God gets glory for and that is for my good, then God let your will be done, right? So radical dependence on the vine. Why do I tell you that story? Radical dependence on the vine. In theory, it sounds foolproof. It's like, yep, God is X, Y, and Z. He does these things for us. And so it makes sense that I would just depend on him, but I don't think it's that simple. So if that's true, though, why wouldn't we devote ourselves to praying to the God who sets the universe in motion? Why wouldn't we fling ourselves over every proverbial cliff so that his glory might be made on full, or might be on full display as we depend on him for every following breath? I'll tell you why I think we don't do this. It's because we paralyze ourselves with this idea of self-reliance or trying to remain risk-averse, um, when we stop leaning into the work of prayer uh, to bring his will about in our lives. 
Grow Church, I pray that we would be a people um, that would pray and seek out and depend on the God who says he has an open ear to the cries of his people, and that he would give us frameable hearts, and that he would teach us to live by prayer as well as providence, and maybe then we'll start to long for God's sovereignty instead of always trying to challenge it. Embracing a life of prayer like this, though, is risky. Um, riskiness exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. If you take a risk, you could lose money. You could lose face with a person that you're trying to save face with. You could lose your health. You could even lose your life. Like there's a whole varying spectrum of ways that we experience and can live in risk. But um, so my question is, is it wise then for us to take risk as believers? And I think ultimately it depends on what risk you're taking and who it's for. Um, but if we're abiding in the vine and we're depending on him and finding hope in the fact that he's got us, then it should free us to risk anything for Jesus. And so that leads me into our second point of a life devoted to the prayers will involve risk. And most times I think when we think of risk, we think it's synonymous with this potential suffering that really we can't avoid the fact that we will suffer as we take risks for Christ, right? We've already talked a little bit about that. But I mean, if we look at Paul's own life in the New Testament, um, we'll see that it shows us that love for Christ doesn't always eliminate our suffering. On the contrary, our very attachment to Christ will bring and therefore the possibility of suffering. And so if we look back to John 15, like I mentioned a minute ago, the vine dresser, he prunes, right? He prunes not people that are not doing well. He prunes people that are already producing fruit. He prunes the branch that is producing fruit for the purpose of it producing more for his glory and for your good. I think it's important for us to remember that Christ's love for us doesn't spare us of sufferings. Risk is a real thing. And that the Christian life is not a painless life. We know that. We could go around story, story by story and, and hear some, some life that has pain in it, right? In some form or fashion. But the Christian life is not joyless. It's not painless either, though. And so as much as that's hard to hear, I also pray that that's encouraging that we have a true vine that um, sustains us in all of that. So we all know we should pray, right? But oftentimes we come before the Lord with, I think, safe prayers. We ask God to do things like bless us or give us favor or nourish this food to our bodies or um, we pray really safe prayers. And, and these are good, but I wonder why we don't come before God with more risky prayers, Oftentimes, I think it's because if we're honest with ourselves, we're living our lives with two goals, self-preservation and avoid suffering at all costs, and, and not with the goal of advancing the gospel in mind over those two things. Praying risky prayers, they challenge us, they make us uncomfortable, they break us at times, but they also transform us and they can entirely change our lives. If we look at Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, it says this, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man gain in return for his soul? 
And so it's a challenge all on its own to risk anything for us at, with a life in the suburbs, right? In Richmond or Katy or Sugarland, or Rosenberg, wherever we might be coming from. Because the message of our context and our culture of the suburbs in a nutshell is self-empowerment, self-enhancement, and self-fulfillment. And what's the one word that's in all of those? Self. Right? And that's, that's, that's the air we breathe in this culture. Self-enhancement, self-empowerment, self-fulfillment. Self is at the center, and all things serve the self. The primary values of suburbia that we live in are convenience, abundance, and comfort. And so, as we live lives that are um, pursuing gospel intentionality, I want to give you just a really simple story of what that might look like and some of the risk that we face in just kind of a, a simpler story than one about, about cancer and that struggle. Um, but Kristen and I um, had been praying, this is several years ago, had been praying for our neighbors and for a way to get to know different neighbors around us. And we had this younger uh, Hindu couple that moved in across the street from us. And um, actually it was at our Halloween block party about four or five years ago that they just wandered across the street, no kids, and they just walked up and they're like, hey, what's going on here? We, we've, we've seen you guys do this before. We were checking out our house last year. It was around this time of year and you guys were doing this and we now live here and we see you out here giving out big candy bars and like, what, what, what's all this about? And so we're like, oh, well, we're from the Grove Church and we kind of gave this little like um, quick answer to what they were asking because we were engaged in all these other things, right? But we had been praying for these conversations to happen. So we're like, oh, that's great. We finally got to meet them, Avinesh and Chaitra. And so um, about a month later, we get a knock on the door, and Avinesh, the husband, is standing there at the door, and he says, we want to invite you to our housewarming party. And we said, oh, that'd be awesome. Like, this is an in for us. Like, you're inviting us, and that's, that's amazing. We didn't, we've been praying for this. We didn't tell him that, but we told each other that. We've been praying for this, right? And uh, so the housewarming comes, and we walk up on the front porch, and they have on their, their front porch, like one of those little side light pieces of glass. They're real narrow, kind of looking into their formal dining room with no furniture in it. And we, we, we go to ring the doorbell, and we're about to push it, and we look through the side light, and there's a Hindu priest and our neighbors are both on their knees in front of an, a hand-carved wooden altar that their family shipped in from India um, with all the oranges and grains and fruits and things that they were offering to their gods. And I stopped at the front of the doorbell and was like, oh, I don't know what to do. And you're met with, this is risky. Because now, it's not just meeting a neighbor. Now, I'm going to probably have to stand up. I'm going to have to stand up for the gospel potentially. And I want an opportunity to share the gospel, but I'm also really scared as what, that, what that's going to mean. Is this relationship going to get cut off and it's not going to go anywhere else? Um, am I not going to know what to say? And so um, Kristen like took my hand and pushed the doorbell. <laughs> so uh, if you know my wife, it makes sense. Um, but we pushed the doorbell and then the Hindu priest looks at us through the window and we're like, Hey, I don't, you know, not know what to do. Somebody comes to the door and answers, and what wound up happening is we walk into the living room. They continued with their, their little worship service of their gods, and we sat in the living room with two of their college buddies who were also from that same part of India. They had all come here for school. They were all engineers in the area, and so they all kind of got together on a regular basis and hung out. And um, we were sitting on the couch and talking to this, this friend of theirs. And we said, so what are they doing? You know, just being inquisitive and asking questions. And he goes, oh, well, this is a worship service to bless their house. This is a traditional thing. We don't really follow the religion of our parents. We do this out of honor for them. 
And so we're like, oh, interesting. You go through all of this just to honor your parents. Tell me about that. And so it just started to engage with conversation, and it wound up being a beautiful time. We got to share the gospel with them and what we believe, and um, they wound up moving away, and he calls me every now and then because they rented out their house, and he wants me to spy on their renters, and it's a great, a great relationship. Um, <laughs> Now, they never accepted Christ, right? But that, that, that relationship is now there, and it was because we stepped into the uncomfortable and the awkward, and that's not like a, hey, pat me on the back kind of a story. I'm not, it's not the heart of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I think we'd be surprised if we just step into some uncomfortable, risky situations in life in whatever capacity that we would see the Lord come through in the way he promises to. And so I want to end with this. What, what am I trying to say ultimately? A life that's devoted to prayer will cause us to risk these treasured idols that we mentioned of convenience, of comfort, and of abundance for the sake of God's glory, not our own. And so the promise of the true vine being the life-giving source for those who believe should empower us to take risks for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. All this is a simple trust in Christ. It's believing him and taking him at his word for what he says about himself and his care for you, that in him God will do everything necessary so that we can enjoy making much of him forever. Every, every good is poised to bless you. Every evil is, that is arrayed against us will end up helping us boost or boast only in the cross. In the cross? My mouth is really dry. It'll help us magnify Christ. It'll help us glorify our creator. And faith in these promises frees us to risk and to find in our own experience that it's better to lose our life than it is to waste it. And so as we close today, I want to close with a prayer from a book that I have here called The Valley of Vision. It's, um, some of you may know this, it's a collection of Puritan prayers. And so as the band comes up to lead us today, I'm going to simply read and pray uh, a prayer out of this book that I think goes really well with what, we're, um, what I'm trying to get at this morning with um, being devoted uh, to the prayers and living a life of dependence and risk. And so let's bow our heads and, and pray together. O God of the open ear, God, would you teach us to live by prayer as well as by providence for myself, for ourselves, for our souls, our body, our children, our family, our church. God, would you give us frameable hearts, frameable hearts to your will so that we might live in prayer and in doing so we would honor you God, that you would keep us from evil, both known and unknown. God, would you help us to see the sin that accompanies all that we do? God, would you help us to know that the work of prayer is to bring our will in line with yours? And then without this, it's folly. So God, when we try to bring our will to yours or I'm sorry, when we try to bring your will to ours, it's like we're trying to command Christ. And so God, forgive us of that. God, we, we try to put ourselves on a pedestal far above him that we think we're wiser than you are. And God, this is sin and pride in us. And so forgive us. And this prayer says, I can only succeed when I pray. 
according to God's precepts and God's promises and to be done with as it pleases God according to his sovereign will. So when, we, when God commands us to pray for pardon and peace and brokenness, it's because he's going to give us these things that he's promised. And he's going to do it for his glory and he's going to do it for our good. So God, help me and help us not only desire small things, but with boldness, with a holy boldness, will we desire great things for your people, for ourselves, and that they might help us to live and to show your glory. God, would you teach us in wisdom? Would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to pray out of love and out of willingness and not out of some necessity that we feel we have? God, I pray that we would come to you at any time. I pray that we would lay open our needs and that they would be acceptable to you, and that by your great and loving mercy, that you would show us our sin that, doesn't, that isn't in keeping with you. God, will we be people who savor your ways, savor your truth. God, that we would savor your presence. There is no wrath like the wrath of being governed by our own lust and our own needs, and so God, help us. It's in your great and loving mercy that we pray this morning. Amen.